0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com.
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quarter.
0: This is not an original point I'm about to make. A lot of other people have made this point. Basically, the conservative movement and GOP, they want to repeal the 20th century. They want to roll back voting rights for African-Americans. They want to end access to abortion. They're attacking access to birth control, which only became freely available to American women and men. Men rely on birth control too because of a Supreme Court decision in the 1960s. Griswold, look it up. But they want to repeal the 26th. They want to take us back to the Gilded Age. They have taken us back to the Gilded Age. The rich are richer than they have ever been. I was reading a story about some fucking CEO or other who has a giant ass yacht on which he has built a basketball court because he likes to play basketball. And you never know when you're at sea when you might want to play basketball. But the problem with playing basketball on your yacht, on your giant court, on your giant yacht is that the balls will bounce off into the water. So when he plays basketball – He has employees who follow him behind his ship in speedboats to retrieve the basketballs that bounce off his ship into the ocean. We are back to the Gilded Age. That they have done. We've returned to the Gilded Age, right? They want to repeal the entire 20th century. You know what else happened in the 20th century? Women got the right to vote. 1920, the passage of the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. Guess what? If you want to repeal the 20th century, you're going to paint a bullseye on that too. And... They are David Barton, the favorite historian, quack historian of religious conservatives pointed out last week that, quote, allowing women to vote hurts the entire culture and society. And our founding fathers did not allow women to vote because they cared about the family. This was about protecting and strengthening families. And rather than every individual having the right to vote, it was every family had a vote singular And of course the head of the family would cast that vote, the dad and this helped bind families together. This helped strengthen the institution of the family and David Barton has identified giving women the vote as a threat to the family, as something that has undermined the family Quoting David Barton here now. The bigotry, we're told that they held back then. He's referring to the founding fathers. They didn't hold. And what they did was that they put the family unit higher than the government unit. And they tried to work hard to keep the family together. And as we can show in two or three hundred studies since then, since giving women the vote, the more you weaken the family, the more it hurts the entire culture and society. Barton went on to assert that denying women the right to vote was necessary for a strong culture, a strong society, and it was based on a strong family that preceded government. He's not the first one who's floated this idea on the religious right and Coulter in 2008 and in 2013 said that women should be denied the right to vote because of the gender gap. Women tend to vote democratic at higher numbers, particularly single women. And so Ann Coulter doesn't believe that women should, including herself, have the right to vote. This is the first shot. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I started pointing out in Savage Love that there were groups on the right, religious conservative organizations that were – Launching campaigns attacking access to birth control, people were kind of thinking I was crazy for paying any mind. But this has become a huge movement undermining access to birth control. It is one of the rights huge beefs with the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, that it increases women's access to birth control. It is one of the fields of battle in which they are fighting the ACA. So I gotta take this shit seriously. When you have prominent, influential quote-unquote thought leaders on the right like David Barton identifying women's suffrage, giving women the right to vote as an attack on the family, it's the first shot. Well, Ann Coulter really fired the first shot. But here we go. Bing, bing, bing. If you're going to repeal the 20th century, if you're going to roll back voting rights for African-Americans, if you're going to return us to the Gilded Age, if you're going to attack access to birth control and contraception, If you're really going to roll back the entire 20th century, you're naturally going to end up at a place where you go after women having the vote. And we are at that place now, thanks to David Barton. It's easy to laugh him off. He is a ridiculous asshole. But people on the right listen to him and people on the right tend to make shit happen in this country. Don't believe me? Go try to get an abortion in Kansas and see what people on the religious right are able to do and the conservative right are able to do when they put their minds to it. This is why you need to vote. I said a few months ago that I would rant and bang away every once in a while about the importance of voting in these fucking midterm elections. Here you go. Here's a reason to vote in the fucking midterm election, to face David Barton. Ladies, single women. Young people, people of color, these are the people who don't vote in midterm elections. We all turn out because I am a young female person of color myself. We all turn out for presidential elections but we don't turn out for midterms and we saw what happened in 2010, a Republican wave because Dems and people of color and young people and single women stayed home and a never-ending assault resulted on women's right to choose, on access to contraception, millions of people. Across the country, denied access to health care because Republican governors and Republican legislatures said no to the Medicare expansion aspect of Obamacare and people are literally dying for lack of access to health care in those states where Medicare expansion was blocked by Republican legislatures. Everybody who stayed home in 2010, all you young people, people of color, women, my fellow young people, people of color, women who stayed home and didn't vote, you helped build that. Let's unbuild it. Go fucking vote. In November, register to vote. You and all your young female person of color friends get to the fucking ballot box on election day this November. If you're not registered to vote, register now because only you can stop them from repealing the entire 20th century, including the 19th Amendment. Okay, we've got tons of calls, tons of questions to get to. And this week on the Savage Lovecast Magnum Edition, we have Ellen Forney, author and illustrator on bipolar disorder and dating and disclosure. And now your calls.
2: Hi, Dan, 35-year-old straight male living in North Carolina. And I have met this amazing, beautiful, wonderful woman. And we are head over heels for each other. And the sex is great. And she is great. And everything's great. So here's my question. I grew up in a rural area. Sex was very taboo, uh, Southern Baptist upbringing, and uh, very, very sheltered. I've since left all that behind, happily atheist and happily sexually liberated. However, talking about sex for me in the bedroom and adventures and things like that, it's still kind of something that makes me blush and giggly and kind of shy. I can get it out, but it takes time. But for my, my girlfriend, she has always been sexually libera- liberated and, and lived in a much larger city her whole life and just has no problems just like kind of blurting out her adventures and her lovers and her partners. And she's more experienced than I am. She's, she's you know probably twice the adventures and twice the lovers. And, um, and I think that's great. I'm excited to learn from her, and I'm excited to learn from her and her learn from me. But when she blurs things out and when she talks about them, Um, It makes me shy because it is something that she just kind of runs roughshod over me with. So do you think it's okay for me to ask, hey, you know, can you keep me in mind when you bring up sex? Can you, you know, um, keep me in mind that I grew up very sheltered and I kind of have a hard time just kind of blurting things out and and talking about them frankly? Um, At least in the beginning, I I will maybe, you know, as we go forward, it'd be great. Or do I just need a man to fuck up and when she says something really crazy, like, Hey, we should, you know, go have sex in public in a sex club. Should I just look at her in the face and go, yeah, let's go. I kind of feel like it's probably a little bit of both, but, but I don't know. I don't want to scare her away or make her think that I'm, you know, afraid of sex or afraid of new adventures. I am GGG ready to try anything pretty much once, but how do I talk
3: about sex when it's
0: hard to talk about sex? I kept waiting for you to lay down a card that would reveal your whole hand for what it often is when a guy says a lot of the things that you just said, that your discomfort could be tied to the fact that she's more experienced than you are, that this is a, you know, you're offering up, you know, the way I was raised, sex, negative culture, you know, sex was taboo. As the reason that her blurting these things out, make you uncomfortable, when actually the reason they make you uncomfortable is that you're one of those guys who's uncomfortable with the fact that the woman that he's with is more experienced than he is and has had more partners than he has and that is a torment to him. But you never laid that card down. So I actually don't think that's your problem. I think your problem is uh, what I might now dub the GGG trap where she throws something on the table that she is, has done or wants to do and it's a really good sign that she's sexually adventurous. And she's sharing adventures she's had with you and she's sharing with you adventures she would like to have with you because she wants you to be her sexually adventurous partner. She wants to go on adventures with you rather than you being the end of sexual adventure because now it's a serious relationship. Sexual adventure is hardwired into her sexual nature and she wants you to be her partner and come along with her and that's great. But you want to be GGG. You want to be sex positive. And so when she says, let's go to a sex club and have sex in public, you feel somehow that to be GGG, you have to say, oh, yeah, let's go. You have to consent. You have to to volunteer to sign up for that adventure right away. And I'm here to tell you as the coiner of the acronym, whatever it is, GGG, Good Giving and Game, that you don't have to say, yeah, let's go right away to maintain your GGG bona fides. All you have to say is, wow, cool, interesting. Tell me more. Have you done that? I don't, I'm don't. i not sure. How, I've never had sex in public. You can be where you're at and be honest and have an honest conversation about how you feel. You said, I'm up for trying everything once and you. you I want to be sexually adventurous. Tell your truth in that moment when she is blurting things out, which isn't a problem. And that's something you should shame her for. But when she's blurting things out, you don't have to match her blurt for blurt and you don't have to – Throw a yes, let's now on the table every time she throws on the table something she's done or would like to do. You can say, cool, wow, interesting. Tell me about that. I want to hear more about that. When you want to hear about it. You have have a right to say sometimes, let's talk about that later. Cool, I I want to talk about X right now. Let's talk about this right now. You've shared so many experiences with me. Let's have an experience together and then talk about that. You can change the subject. You know, maybe she's a blurt. Pez dispenser who's always throwing experiences at you, Gatling gun style, and that can be annoying, legitimately annoying. Sex positive people can be annoyed by that kind of constant rat-a-tat-tat, one-upmanship, bragging, whatever. And if that's what she's doing, you have a right to say, well, let's just slow it down a little bit because <laughs> I can't match you point for point, but I want to hear and I want to share. But I really think the the way out of this trap for you is to not feel like you have to say, yes, let's, let's do it now. But to say, wow, cool, tell me more. Let's. I want to hear about it. I'm open to it. That's all you really have to say. And then think about it. And then once you guys go on some sexual adventures together, you will have some stories to share and to swap. You'll have some memories to discuss. There are a lot of people out there who sex is much more pleasurable for them when they're moving their mouths as well as their junk and their tongues and their asses, right? When they're running their mouths and they're talking about exciting experiences that they've had, it really turns them on. It's an important part of the Uh, you know, erogenous loop for them. It helps to get them off. And right now, if she's one of those people who needs to be talking aloud, fantasizing, dirty talking during sex, and you guys don't have a large bank of shared experiences to draw on, she's going to draw on past experiences or things she would like to do. The more experiences you have together, the more sexual adventures you have together, the more you will have to talk about with each other during sex, if that's an important part of it for her. But again, I really do think the way out of here. So tell yourself that you are sex positive, you are liberated, you are GGG, you don't have to be up for a sexual conversation at all times, at any time. Sometimes you're in the mood for sex, sometimes you're not, sometimes you are need to hear about it, sometimes you're not, and you don't have to consent to everything that's thrown out on the table. You have a right to acknowledge, think about, process, talk, let her talk and listen. You don't have to sign up. Not right away, not every time.
4: Hi Dan, I'm a straight girl calling from Colorado. And I uh, have a question about my orgasm, but so, yes, I'm wondering if it's a normal thing or not. But uh, when I come, it is very difficult for me to do so unless my legs are, like, really stretched out and, like, really tight, like, have to clench up my legs. And it's kind of embarrassing. Like, I had a partner once that said something about it being, like, Uh, like a cocked gun or something. (laughs) And so I'm really self-conscious about it. And I think because of that, I don't have nearly as many orgasms as I would like to. Um, I have tried lots of different things. I've tried in, you know, in masturbation, like I'm trying different positions. And one thing, when I smoke pot, it's a little bit easier to reach orgasm in different ways. So I don't know if it's just like all in my head or what, but if you have any advice, I'm open to it. Um, thank you so much for calling. That's great.
0: It's my pleasure. You're gonna. I think you'll like what I have to say, which is smoke more pot.
4: Oh, really?
0: Absolutely. If pot, you know, pot's a tool. Pot, Medical marijuana, if pot helped you get off in different ways and what you'd like to be able to do is get off in different ways and you've noticed that when you smoke pot, you can get off in different ways. Smoke some more fucking pot every once in a while. Get high and fuck. It's
5: so funny
4: because it's like I feel this weird sort of sense of guilt about it, you know, like, and I think that my partner might be um like he's very supportive in some ways but I I feel like and maybe I'm I'm projecting this but I feel like in the back of his mind he has this idea like I should be able to get off in a certain way without certain, you know, whatever. So I,
0: you know what I have to say to that? Fuck that right in its face, that attitude. Um I also want to tell you that there's nothing wrong with the way you come. That There are a lot of people out there who have to have their bodies in a certain position or they tense up certain muscle groups when they come. Uh, there are a lot of women tense their thighs and asses when they come. They bear down. It puts pressure on uh, you know, all those muscles that are tied to all those tendons that are tied to all those muscles that eventually are tied to your clit, that eventually wrap themselves around and are threaded through and over your clitoral tissues, your clitoral glands, not the glands, the exposed part, but the clitoral wings, the roots. The thing that anchors the exposed part of your clitoris into your body. So when you bear down like that, you're pushing yourself over the edge with self-induced clitoral stimulation and that the fact that, you're, that you need that to get off usually is nothing you should be ashamed of. It's how you get off. It's how you come. Right. And if you want to be able to come in more ways, and you've noticed that they're, you know, because sometimes that can be awkward, you know, when you, you're the kind of person. I had a boyfriend once who had to like bear down like that, even though he didn't have a clit. At least I don't think so. Had to bear down like that, and sometimes it's gonna be a little awkward to the partner because you everything's sort of like going to that moment, and you don't want to be between those legs when that happens because it hurts. It's like being cut in half. Right. Um, but you know what? That's the way you work, and you get off, and that's what's required. Do it. And women are the ones who usually have this problem. If the dude needed a goat and a canoe in the room to come, there would be a fucking goat and canoe in the room. And he would not be apologetic about it or ashamed of it. (laughs) So if you need a goat and a canoe, go to the fucking goat canoe store and get a goat and a canoe. If you need to bear down with your leg muscles to get there, fucking bear down. And anybody (laughs) who gives you grief about it be like, you need to get out more. There are lots of women out there like me. Some dudes too. Yeah. And then to, for your own for your own entertainment for your own pleasure for for your own you know for variety for you I'm not saying smoke pot to relieve your sex partner of the terror and the burden of having to see you get off this one particular way I'm just saying for your own sake if you want a little variety you want a little difference every once in a while you want to like get off in a slightly different way smoke some fucking pot well
4: since you say so.
5: <laughs> you have my permission if you insist
0: <laughs> my permission is not a prescription for medical marijuana but it's close it's very close just just quickly before I let you go the, the first time somebody saw you come the way that you come saw how your orgasms work the way that they work and shamed you about it what is it that they said that, that, that so stuck with you and so
5: struck oh,
4: you he said something about it being like and and I think he was he was just trying to be friend. This was when I was like nineteen, and I'm in my thirties now, you know. But um, he said something about it being like a cocked gun, like a like a like a um, just really tense. But he said it in a really negative way, like like it was uncomfortable for him, you know. And so I, I think I took some things away from that, like okay, I can learn from this experience. But at the same time, it's just kind of like stayed with me, you know.
0: It's crazy how early in our sexual you know, lives, adult sexual lives, partner in sexual intercourse, how one straight comment or attitude from somebody can really stay with you all your life. You can be turning this over and over in your head 20 years later, 15 years later and, you know, we can't get into the heads of every like, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old who's the new sex partner of somebody else who's never had a sex partner and say, careful what you say. Don't say anything like dumb, stupid, shamey, hurtful because that's going to stick with that person. But it does. It sticks with us. And it's really – the onus is on us because we can't all have the benefit of like a really worldly-wise, compassionate, loving, non-shaming sex partner right out of the gate. The onus is on us to like look at that statement that we're carrying around, that thing that was said, that hurt, and that stuck with us and go, this is bullshit. And to let it go, to set it aside. And you should let it go and set it aside.
4: Wow. Well, thank you so much. I can't believe you called. This is great.
0: Good luck. Enjoy the pot. Hi. Uh I'm
4: a
6: straight guy living in a, in, C, in Seattle, and I was calling about uh, my fiance and I. Uh, she's 22. I'm 29. We've been living together for about seven months or so. Two months ago, I asked her to marry me, and just the other day, she had gotten an apartment book was and was looking through it and had shown me that she was looking for other places for her to live on her own and that she was thinking about moving out. I'm not really sure how to take this. I'm feeling pretty devastated right now about it. I have two small kids that live in our apartment with us, and they love her. They think that she's the most amazing person ever. She says she wants to do it because she has never really lived on her own. She wants her freedom and freedom to make her own rules and do her own thing. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure if this is her way of saying that, hey, it's over, or if she's going to come back. Can a relationship survive this?
0: You ask, can a relationship survive this? In all honesty, sure. Sure, A a relationship can survive this. A relationship can survive anything. There are relationships that have survived war and separation and imprisonment for decades, and relationships in some instances prove themselves to be very... Strong and lasting um, and uh, indestructible. I can't tell you though that this is one of those instances. Only time will tell if this is one of those instances. I don't want to paint too rosy a picture because what I'm hearing is that this girl is 22. You've been living together for seven months. Presumably you haven't been dating her for more than a year or two. I assume you haven't been dating her for five or six years since she was a sophomore in high school. So this is – Not that long a term a relationship and it sounds like a case of premature commitment. Perhaps she moved in with you too soon. Uh, Perhaps you proposed to her too soon. She's only 22 years old and she may have cold feet now because of the responsibility that came with being your girlfriend and then fiance and potentially wife, which included the responsibility to be the stepmother or mother to these two children of yours I need a time machine. I I really do. If I had a time machine I could offer you better help right now because we would get in a time machine and you would keep dating this girl and you would not move in with her. You would not have her move in with you, not so soon. And you would not propose five months after she moved in. That you would allow her at 22 to have some autonomy and not to have the – crushing responsibility of raising two small children, which is probably what it turned into probably pretty quickly after you guys moved in together and she now understandably for someone at the stage of life where she's at is having cold feet and second thoughts. You can't force her to stay. You can't force her to marry you. All you can do, the only option you have that ensures perhaps some possibility of this relationship working out over the long term is to let her go with good grace and a good attitude. To be, you know, feel the fuck out of your feelings. If you're devastated, be devastated. Um, be there for your kids who are going to probably be devastated as well. And if this doesn't work out, remember in the future that it is a bad idea to introduce someone into the lives of your children before you are absolutely certain, and that person is absolutely certain that this is a long term commitment. But let her go. With good grace. Feel your feelings. Have your sads. Don't be an anger bomb. Don't rage about it. Acknowledge that perhaps you guys were moving along too quickly and you at 29 with two children to look after, perhaps you were hurrying things along because you would like that kind of stability and commitment in your own life and for, the, and for your children. So acknowledge that perhaps things were moving too fast. And you acknowledging that may help her see that you are the person that she wants to be with long-term. If you have that kind of insight and emotional sensitivity, to take some responsibility for where you're at right now and then let her the fuck go. Let her go. Let her move out. Be loving and supportive. Lay on the table the possibility of continuing to date or winding the clock back to before the engagement, before the moving in, when you guys just met and you were dating and it was casual and being with you didn't – come with all of these responsibilities and emotional entanglements that left her perhaps feeling as if she couldn't walk away if she wanted to walk away because of her feelings for your kids and your kids' feelings for her and just walk it back to the dating stage. Get babysitters. Go out. Hang out with her. Be good to her and be gracious in what potentially may be a romantic defeat but only your graciousness could turn it into a victory over the long term.
1: Hi, Dan. I'm a a
7: 31-year-old married straight female. My husband and I have been uh, married for about five years now, and circumstances have dictated that I actually live uh, away from the house during the week uh, just due to my career and my commute. So during the week, we don't really see each other. On the weekends, we get together, and generally, it's very, very good. Uh, But lately, He has discovered Chat Roulette and from their Dirty Roulette, and he has been telling me in extreme detail about his masturbation habits and the women that he chats with and how some of them he is now chatting with on Skype, masturbating with on Skype. Uh, He said sometimes one to three times a night, I know I'm not there and I understand people masturbate. I get myself off when he's not around, that part's fine. The problem is that he feels like if he's not sharing these details with me, that he is being dishonest. I disagree. I prefer kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy. I've told him this, and yet he keeps at it. If you were approaching it from a, hey, I did this with this person. It was really fucking hot. Do you want to try it? I am I really like to be a GGG partner, but at the same time, hearing about the things that he does when I'm not around, it does make me feel inadequate and uncomfortable. Um, I don't really know how else to approach the situation with him. And our arguments about this have escalated to hours and hours of fighting and crying and basically him just trying to justify this by saying that he's just trying to be honest with me and open with me. And I tell him that, well, I appreciate that it doesn't actually help me out. Um, If you have any advice to give on how I could better approach this situation or what I could do better, that would be tremendous. Um, Thank you very much.
0: Oh my God. I hate your husband so much. Um, I don't mean to prejudice you against him or anything, but I really hate him because I hate people who, you know, wrap themselves in the, you know, the laurels and the, uh, of honesty. I'm just being honest and open when they are, when what they're being is cruel And obnoxious and then claiming that as a virtue, I'm telling you these things because I just think it's really important that we be honest. These things that you've asked me not to tell you because it's painful for you to hear them. I'm going to tell you these things because I'm a good person who's hurting you on purpose. That is some fucked up bullshit right there. He can't tell you these things. You're a part, right? You can't tell you these things if you hang up the fucking phone every time he starts. Just hang up the phone. You know how I feel. I don't want to know. Have your fun telling me these stories about the women you're masturbating with that you are forming emotional entanglements with makes me feel unhappy and insecure. And the fact that you persist in telling me these things after I've asked you not to tell me giving you my blessing to run off and do whatever you want to do, Ask you not to tell me because it hurts and you continue to, that's an indication that you aren't really concerned about my emotional security or comfort. And that's a really bad sign for the future of our relationship, asshole. And then hang the fucking phone up and repeat as necessary. I think what's at bottom here is he's mad that you're gone and he's punishing you. He's lashing out at you inflicting pain on you, emotional pain, and then claiming butter wouldn't melt in his ass, that he's just doing this because he's such a good person. I'm such a good person. I just have to be honest. No, you really don't. You know what? You don't have to be honest at all times. And when someone tells you that they don't want to hear about something, that they don't require your honesty in this area of your life, your shared life, your romantic life, your sex life, shut your fucking mouth. They don't want to hear it. Your husband pisses me off and he should piss you off too. And you have every right to be pissed off, slam the phone down. He can't tell you, you don't want to hear about it. Don't listen. If it's all he can talk about, don't talk to him. If it doesn't stop, don't stay married to him.
8: Hi, Dan, first in background, I'm a 24 year old disabled man in the marriage with a 24 year old woman. She works and brings home the bacon. I stay home and take care of the home. When we have kids, I will be the one changing diapers and cooking dinner and driving them to and from school, and she'll be the one working all day and providing for our family. Now to our dilemma. I am of the opinion that wife and husband come with baggage that I'm not willing to accept, especially from a Judeo-Christian perspective. I don't consider my wife a slave or my property in any way, Beyond the historical problems with wife and husband relationship, I feel like it's disingenuous to describe each other like this, because if we're being honest about a relationship using the wife and husband words, we would describe me as the wife and her as the husband. My wife, however, disagrees. She thinks that the term partner is a downgrade. She believes that describing her as my partner rather than my wife makes her less of a spouse. So after a long discussion with with this over the last couple of weeks, we've decided we need to hear the opinion of someone on the outside. What do you think? Do you think that partner is somehow less than wife and husband? Does the historical baggage of the terms disqualify them as an appropriate title? Thanks for helping us out.
0: Newsflash. Straight people. Pay attention. Uh, you guys redefined marriage a long time ago. There's been this argument about whether, gay people want to redefine the institution of marriage. Straight people redefined the institution of marriage long ago and marriage is whatever two people in it say that it is, period, the end. That's all. Um, the idea that marriage for many centuries, was millennia, a property transaction where one man – Gifted his daughter to another man, and in that transaction, which often involved an exchange of a great deal of money or cattle or whatever, that daughter transmorgified into wife, but still property absolutely true for for millennia for centuries. Women were indeed slaves really of their husbands, the property of their husbands, legally socially that's over, and has been over for a while, not for as long as it would be nice but 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 it's been over for a while now marriages to Equal and autonomous individuals who make a commitment to each other and the wife can submit joyfully to the husband per the Southern Baptists or the husband can submit hornily to the wife per the femdom couples. But it's really up to them or they can be equals in an egalitarian marriage. So wife doesn't have the baggage – Anymore, that you're attempting to attach to it. You're extending the life of that sexist, horrible, chattel, slavery idea of wife by insisting that it still means what it no longer means and does not mean in your relationship. So yeah, call her your wife and you are the husband. I have a husband and he has a husband. We have no wife. Does that mean no one is oppressed in our relationship? No, of course not. I'm oppressed in our relationship. It, but it's not has nothing to do with like – those two syllables, husband, has nothing to do with that one syllable, wife. Your wife is only as oppressed as you choose to make her or she chooses to allow herself to be made. You guys have an egalitarian marriage. You guys, have, you guys are living the redefinition of marriage and the inversion of roles within marriage that for a long time were tied for no good reason whatsoever to gender. Fuck all that. She's your wife. And yeah, I agree. Partner in this instance is kind of a downgrade. Partner is what gay people were allowed to call each other for a few decades after we came out and started having relationships and straight people couldn't deal. We had to be partners. It couldn't be husbands. couldn't be boyfriends even. Boyfriends was immature and husbands was a lie. Well, that's all over with and partner is done. Put a bullet in the back. I had a partner. It's over. He's my husband. She's your wife. Get over it. Get over yourself. Hi,
9: Dan. Um, I'm a 20, 24, going on 25-year-old female, mostly straight or a little bit bi, I don't know. But anyways, um, I'm mostly interested in meeting guys. And I, well, I guess my problem is, up to this date, I have never had a serious relationship. I don't think I've ever had a flame that lasted over a month, maybe, or maybe a... A series of occasional hookups with the same person, but definitely not an an intimate connection, not a relationship. And I'm starting to get to the point where I'm I'm, I'm starting to fear that this is how it's going to be forever. That I'm not ever going to meet anyone for something you know serious, for something more. Uh, how can I say this deep? So. I get very anxious and nervous about flirting. I'm not very open to flirtation. I'm very shy around guys. And usually it takes me a while to actually get interested in guys. And um, this is difficult for me because, well, as you can tell from my accent, I'm I'm not American, and I don't live in the States. I live in um, a Latin American country. And um, the culture here is very... um, You know, um, men are very aggressive with their approach, and it's like you have to decide in five seconds, are you interested? Are you up for it? Are you not? The the, the courting ritual is very straightforward, and I sometimes don't fit into the dating culture here, and I'm starting to feel that, you know, maybe it's just never going to happen for me. And sometimes I wonder, what, what what should I do? Just like accept it and, well, maybe that's it. Maybe I'm going to be single for the rest of my life oh, or or make it a project to meet a guy and put myself out there. What's the best approach so I don't go crazy? Um, especially because my 25th birthday is coming up and that's the age where people start to look at you not like a, a, a single gal out of the towel, but as a, you know, oh my God. 25 and
0: she never had a boyfriend, that's sad. You have an option beyond I- accepting it, uh, your predicament, uh, or going out there and putting yourself out there and trying to land a man uh, who's stereotypically the way men are in your culture, wherever that you live, and that's to look the fuck around. You don't fit into the dominant dating culture in your society, in your city, in, in the circles in which you move, you don't fit in. You're not the only one. I bet you a million dollars that there are guys out there who don't fit into that dating culture either, who feel as estranged and, and and luckless and fucked in that dating culture as you do. Look around for those guys. They are out there. Get online. Take out personal ads. Identify yourself as – feeling estranged from the the dominant dating culture in the place where you live and state explicitly that you're looking for guys who've had no luck in this kind of machismo, uh, throw your dick around shit that's required of them because I bet you a million dollars. I guarantee you that there are guys who feel as awkward and uncomfortable with what's expected of them as you feel. Awkward and uncomfortable with what's expected of you. Go find one of those guys and date him. Go find all of those guys and date them until you find the one guy among all of those guys that you could see yourself with for the long term. Good luck.
5: Hey, Dan. Uh, I am a 20 year old from Texas. On Saturday, I got some pretty bad news. I found out that my dad has been having an affair on, well, yeah, on my stepmother. Uh, with a woman from work, and you know, I know what you say usually about how affairs and cheating doesn't necessarily mean the end of a relationship. But uh, he told her that he wasn't sure that he wanted to stay with her, and uh, I guess it's kind of a big deal because my stepmother is basically my mother. She raised me, and she supported us through everything. And she's she's like the best person I've ever known, and. Uh, I kind of don't know what to do about my feelings towards my dad. Well, we had a pretty strong family unit, unit, and it seems like he's kind of tearing it all apart, not really thinking about anybody else. And I kind of feel mad at him, but I don't want to cut any ties or say anything that I don't mean to him either. So I, I was just wondering if you had any advice on how to deal with a, a cheating parent, I guess.
0: You understandably feel loyal to your stepmother, who is essentially your mother, who raised you and was there for you and there for your dad. But for you to maintain a relationship with both of these people going forward and you're going to have a relationship with both of these people going forward. Your stepmom's always going to be your stepmom or your mom and your dad's always going to be your dad. They're not going to be in a relationship with each other for much longer. And that is something that is separate from your relationships with each of them. Even if they stay together, you do have an independent relationship with each of your parents even as they are together. As they come apart, you just don't want to get trapped in the middle and you don't want to take sides and that sometimes it's difficult when you feel legitimately that one person has behaved badly and sex narrative culture and everything else and cheating and cheating is always wrong. and It's never right. And no one ever has a good reason to cheat except some people do. You know, The culture tells you to see your father as the bad actor in this. But you don't know what the internal dynamics were in the relationship that your father and stepmother had and you can't know. And so you just have to resist the urge to take sides. Empathize with your stepmother. Hear your father out. You can share your feelings with your father about what he's done, about the way he wound this relationship with your stepmother down. Uh, If he wanted out, if he was done, that there was probably a way to do this without inflicting so much pain and collateral damage and putting you in a terrible, awkward position where you felt like maybe you would have to take sides and he didn't do that. And you're fucking legitimately have a right to share those feelings Those conflicted feelings with your dad and then here came out but then butt the fuck out of it. This is about three adults, your dad, your stepmom, this other woman and their relationships to one another. It's really not about you. You have a relationship with each of them separately and as hard as it can be to empathize with both when one person clearly shit the bed, that's the best course of action, to empathize with both. And to not take sides. What your father did or has done or is doing is very common. He didn't abuse your stepmother viciously, physically. Uh, He he wasn't violent. He was stupid perhaps in winding this down. A lot of people don't pull the plug on the relationship or marriage that they're in until the next – person, the inducement, the enticement to end it comes along and incentivizes ending it. If that makes your father a monster, the world is crawling with monsters, male and female who've ended relationships and marriages under the exact same circumstances. You may end a relationship or a marriage later in life under the exact same circumstances. You're in your 20s. You may have already ended a relationship under similar circumstances. not a marriage but there may have been a time in your life where you had a girlfriend And you met somebody else and maybe the end with the girlfriend wasn't clean, didn't predate the taking up with the new girl. That sometimes happens. It's ugly and messy and it shouldn't happen later in life. People should be smarter, more considerate, more cognizant of their obligations. And your father wasn't and it was a big train wreck and that's too bad. But they can hopefully put it behind them and it will be easier for them to put it behind them if you're not in the middle of it. So stay the fuck out of it.
10: Hi, I am calling from Montreal. I am a 25-year-old bi woman, um, and I am diagnosed as bipolar 2. It's not a big deal. It doesn't really affect my everyday life in a really negative way, but it does affect my behavior interpersonally, and that can be an issue when I'm dating and I'm single right now. So uh, one of the things that happens when I find myself in a hypomanic state is I get a little bit more flirtatious and a little bit more outgoing, and I'm more likely to strike up a conversation with someone that I am interested in. And then usually very soon after that, I will find myself in a place where I'm not I'm not uh, ready to continue that. I'm trying to figure out right now the best course of medication, seeing a psychiatrist. I'm, I'm trying to practice self-care and all of that good stuff. But I'm just wondering what the etiquette is in terms of disclosing mental health issues. Is that something you do? First date, second date, third date, do you drop it casually? Can you just be like, oh, hi, I'm kind of crazy or, uh, you know, do to you, you keep, it, keep it under wraps until the last minute. Anyways, I'm not sure. Thank you very much.
0: Joining me by phone, Ellen Forney is a graphic novelist here in Seattle. She describes her struggle with bipolar disorder in her best-selling graphic memoir, Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me. It is terrific, and you should get it and read it. Whether you have bipolar disorder or you love somebody who does or not, it's just a really terrific uh, piece of work. So uh, Ellen, thanks for jumping on the phone with us today. Um, Thanks for inviting me. So just to to recap, um, I I listened to the call three or four times before I think I identified what the issue is for her dating and romance-wise. So she says that when she's in a hypomanic state, it, it affects her behavior when dating. She's more flirtatious, more outgoing. And then soon after, she finds herself in a place where she's not ready to continue that. So I think what that might mean is that she presents herself as one kind of person sort of socially or sexually at first meeting when she's hypomanic, and then she can't live up to that person, and she doesn't know how to walk it back, and she doesn't know when to disclose. So uh-huh. are you, that's something you wrote about in Marbles. What's the, your advice for her as a fellow sufferer?
1: Well, it's interesting that you pointed that one particular line, because that's really stuck out to me. Um, bipolar 2 is, uh, well, I have bipolar 1, which is um, full-blown mania and full-blown depression. And what bipolar 2 is, which is what she um, has, is hypomania, which is not full mania, not full-on extreme mania, and depression, and and full clinical depression. So I, I'm wondering if she was kind of avoiding saying that she gets depressed. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know that that's the case, but that's the that's the pattern of of episodes. You start up and generally fall down, and your your body's like, "Whoa, that was exhausting."
5: Mm-hmm. So
1: there are kind of two different issues there. Uh, if her problem is that she's cycling, and she said that she is trying different things. She's going to a psychiatrist, and she's trying meds and
0: finding her balance
1: yeah so she's so she's on the road to stability is what I'm assuming her goal is so there's there's the problem that she's still cycling that she's going through these periods where her judgment is different mm-hmm. um and what she wants is different, and then there's what she that what she was calling about, which is etiquette. And as you might imagine, there is, there is no book of etiquette for, for that, that I know of, that I know of.
0: There's no bipolar Emily Post out there,
1: <laughs>
0: but, but we want, we we want you to play that role right now. So when she asks,
1: when do you disclose, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm do my best. what's the etiquette?
0: <laughs> you, you, have you dated? Have you started a relationship since your diagnosis?
1: Well, sure. And actually, you know, one of the things that this brought to mind was my boyfriend now. We've been together for almost five years, but when we met, I um, I really just fell head over heels for him. And we had actually only known each other for a couple of days. I, I was visiting another city, his city, and we were in my hotel room and he was in the bathroom and I, was, I had my, my meds in my hand. And I remember having very conflicted feelings about whether I whether I wanted to take them really quickly so that he didn't know. Or if I wanted him to come out because I wanted him to know and because I really liked him. And so I, I was there for just that moment and then he came out of the bathroom and I just blurted, I'm bipolar.
0: And is is that your recommendation? Blurt I'm bipolar with your magazine? <laughs>
1: Well, it's not, but I have to say it turned out okay. He, uh-huh. we've laughed about it since. I mean, obviously we've been together for a long time. We've laughed about it since, but I, I think it's probably, probably the same as a lot of things that are, that are personal, how you share them with someone that you just met. I mean, usually you want more of a context. Right, and you know you don't want to do it on the first date. Usually, we've talked about this
0: a lot on the show. That if you're HIV positive, if you're a sex worker, if you're super kinky, I, I do think that you have a right to like roll that out after they get a chance to know you. If there's, right. if there's prejudices and pre- misconceptions out there about who you are to let that person get to know you first because often people say I'd never date somebody who's positive until they realize that they are dating someone who's positive who's just disclosed it to them in a responsible and way at an appropriate time and then they have to rethink right. their preconceptions and their prejudices. What are the – quickly, what are the preconceptions and prejudices that, that that somebody with bipolar disorder may face in the dating world?
1: Well, I I would say that the prejudices that we might face are a lot bigger in our heads than they are actually out there, I have found. Mm -hmm. Having been out now for a year plus since my book came out, that was my big coming out. One of the hugest things that I learned from that is that so many people either have bipolar disorder, some sort of mood disorder disorder, or if they don't themselves, then they have some very close connection with someone who does. I mean, just statistically, mm-hmm. like mood disorders, 10% of the U.S. population has, has some sort of mood disorder. So if you know 10 people, then you probably know someone who's crazy. And I looked up the statistics for Canada, too, and they're a little bit less, but almost the same.
0: So Canadians are less crazy.
1: Less crazy or less diagnosed, anyway. Ah. Or maybe we're overdiagnosed. I mean, maybe a combination.
0: Have you been in a situation where you met somebody and got to know them at first in a hypomanic state, like, like this girl describes, and then had to kind of reintroduce yourself or re roll yourself out to that person?
1: Well, I'll say a couple things about that. One, for me, for sure, when I was really manic, and I had, I'd like to add that I've been stable for over 10 years now, Rockwood.
0: And you know what? I can't, And I can't say that about myself, so props to you.
1: <laughs> so when I was really manic, yeah, I was... It, it's kind of like the closest thing that I've come to describing it is if you have ever done illegal drugs, it's kind of like cocaine and ecstasy and speed, kind of all the same time, maybe not as like completely kind of out of your head I guess but similarly like full of energy and full of everything and then and for me that was a couple of months and then I would crash and I I would exhaust my friends and alienate my family so I would wind up kind of having a new group of friends um that were a lot more high energy and I mean this is a big generalization but uh, a new group of friends basically and definitely um definitely came across to a lot of people as kind of a uh, if not a different person then then very much a di- different aspect of me when oh, hypomania is really pretty different from that kind of mania hypomania is more um I, most people have actually had kind of a taste of it if you think of let's say the great a really really you're having a really great day and it 's sunny and you just got a new job and you have kind of a crush on somebody who just said they have a crush on you and it's sunny and you know just a really good day that's that's basically kind of a taste of what hypomania is like. You just feel sexy and confident and and not really. Out of this world, and she said she kind of said that too. Just you know, more flirtatious, more not out of her mind, but and so so I think that probably she's just kind of pushing her limits farther than she's comfortable with later.
0: But but she's saying that that's not the person she really is, and then how do you you know you don't want to continue with that level of energy, that level of flirtatiousness, that level of outgoingness. She can't sustain it when she rolls out of this hypomanic episode. And then there's that person that who came into your life because they met right. that high energy, outgoing, flirtatious iteration of your character. Right. And then you have to do what then when they meet that other person that you also are?
1: Well, you know, that gets back to the first problem that, that I mentioned, which was that she's cycling I mean that's the thing that's and that she's seeking to stabilize. That's kind of going to take care of the, being a, a couple of different. I hate saying being a couple of different people because that that it's not. It's like it's like you're stretching yourself in different directions. But I know that. I mean that happened to me again. My my uh, up was much more manic than hers, but so to, like totally seducing this woman who'd never been with another woman before and it was crazy and it was awesome it was really great and she then was totally taken with me and a couple months later came down to visit in Seattle and at that point i was really depressed and i, I felt horrible and I, I i was nowhere near the place that I had been before, and I think I kind of broke her heart. I still feel kind of bad about it.
0: So the goal then of treatment and, and meds and seeing the doctor is to eliminate these hypomanic episodes, and then she won't have to explain them anymore or walk them back to, to, to right. get onto an even keel. So that just leaves a disclosure thing, and, and let's nail that down. Right. Now, what's your best advice for when do you say, as using her words, when do you say, hey, I'm kind of crazy? And you probably shouldn't say it that way, caller.
1: <laughs> but really it's why you're telling the person is it is it because you're interested in having a having a long long term relationship with them and you just it, you yeah, I think want them to know who
0: you are I do I do think that's what she means like at what point when you're dating and mating and there's a long term potential at what point are you obligated in this case to disclose and how should she roll it out when she does
1: I would say it's the same thing that we started out talking talking about which which is wait until you have a bit of context wait till they get to know you a little better and then if it seems like you want to you want this person to know you better because you think they might be able to support you later or so that you want them to know that it's okay that you're going to spend a month at home and not really want to do anything or or what w- waiting waiting until there's some there's some um you guys get to know each other better, but there's some more context there and how many, how many dates would you say that is three five <laughs> right exactly right oh. I, I, think it, I think it's when you've got a feeling
0: about someone. You know, When it yeah. comes to something like having HIV, I think you need to disclose before you're sexually intimate, right? There's an exactly. obligation there. In this case, probably not before you're sexually intimate. You could really date right. and hook up and be friends with benefits to somebody for a while. And then if it's looking right. like open-ended potential long-term commitments may right. be made, then that person may have a right to know that you have this other underlying issue. It's in control. You're handling it. But they may have a right to they you know people have a right to make to fully informed consent and that's when you would roll this out so I think you get a longer buy off on something like bipolar disorder when it's in treatment right. it's like, in your place
1: it's it's when it's relevant really you know if if it if it comes up if you really feel like you know this person if they're going to know me then I want them to know this I'm going to broach the topic or you know if it comes up and they say something that you think it doesn't feel right and you want them to know why or it just when it when it feels right and then the other part of that is you don't have to disclose uh, unless you really feel like you want to or it's necessary
0: Ellen Forney, she's a graphic novelist here in Seattle, and she describes and and writes about and draws about in a very moving way her struggle with bipolar disorder in her best-selling graphic memoir, Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me. Thanks for jumping on the phone today, Ellen. We really appreciate it.
1: Dan, thanks so much for having me.
4: Hi. So this is a question about anal sex. Is it normal
10: for a girl or maybe for a guy Not to be
4: into anal
10: sex immediately,
4: I am dating a guy who's really into it and I really want to be into it, (laughs) but it seems as though I'm not and I've been trying really hard to sort of ease my way into that side of me and I'm having a little bit of trouble And so if this is normal, I guess I was just wondering if you had any tips about how to become more comfortable with anal sex and how to sort of get there, eventually.
0: The mistake people make when they're trying to get into anal sex is they try to get into it in a great big hurry, that they try to get into dicks and butts, slamming in and out until the dick comes, until the guy gets off. And that unseemly rush to fucking... And anal sex and anal play and anal pleasure is a lot more than just dicks and butts and fucking. That that hurrying the process along is where people get hurt, is where people experience pain and discomfort that then they associate forever with any sort of anal play at all and it ruins it. So if you want to eventually get to a place where you can enjoy anal sex, anal intercourse, dick and butt, sex with this guy and if he wants to get you there, then you guys need to not – be thinking about dicks and butts for a very long time, that it shouldn't be about getting a dick into your hole. It should be about getting his tongue into your hole, getting the occasional toy or vibrator into your hole, uh, getting fingers into your hole, and you know what? Getting your tongue into his and your fingers into his and toys into his. It might help you understand what anal sex is all about and and how to do it if you're just not the receptive one every single time you guys play uh, with a butthole. That his butthole is on the line too. And that anal pleasure is something that you can both share and that it can be reciprocated and that he can enjoy it too. And he has a prostate gland and you have these clitoral roots, wings, anchors that burrow deep back into your body and you have a vestigial female – it can be fun for you. A lot of women out there who enjoy anal sex. Most of those women who enjoy anal sex probably didn't just plop their ass down on a dick one day at a boyfriend's request. They built up to it slowly over time. A lot of anal foreplay, a lot of orgasms during anal stimulation that had nothing to do with a dick and a butt. If you are playing with butt plugs, if you are laying a vibrator against your asshole, against your butthole, it's a beautiful thing, um, and having penis and vagina intercourse, or he's eating you out and getting you off through oral sex while gently playing with your hole, your other hole, your butthole, you will then begin to associate... Anal pleasure, anal stimulation with release and pleasure and orgasms and sex and consideration on his part as opposed to an unseemly rush to get his dick into your butt on his part. And that will put you in a better place psychologically, a place where you can relax and untense and enjoy when you guys decide to go for it. And when you do go for it, don't you know, make little fists and grip the sheets and grit your teeth and get through it. That the first few times you try, you don't have to get all the way to anal banging away porn star style until he gets off. That the first few times you can just ease in and breathe deep a few thrusts and then get the fuck out and do something else. But of course, if he's going to put his dick in your twat after putting it in your butt, shower time first. You don't want to introduce fecal bacteria into your vaginal canal for all sorts of obvious reasons. And that's how you do it. That's how you learn to enjoy it with a very gradualist approach to it. You make it play at first. Anal play, not anal sex. Anal play, anal pleasure. You work your way up with lots of lube and a bunch of orgasms along the way that happen to coincide with your butt being in play and his too. And you may get there. But if he's not willing to do that kind of work, that kind of leg work, tongue work, finger work, toy work to get you there, you don't want to do it with him. If he's in a big rush to shove his dick into your ass and could care less about your comfort or your pleasure, go find a guy who cares about your comfort and your pleasure and work up to getting his dick in your ass.
11: Hi, Dan. I'm a gay 23-year-old male located in Manhattan. And uh, I just had a quick question. I've kind of never really been in a serious relationship, which I guess I'm okay with. Maybe not really, but... I've never really met somebody that was into me uh, as much as I was into them, or vice versa, so it's never really happened to me. So I finally met this guy who came into my work a lot, and we ended up spending a night together um, after a couple weeks of like seeing each other, you know, one or two nights a week, uh, just professionally. And it was amazing, and now we talk often and. We had another run in, but it ended up so we have a boyfriend, it's a big surprise, so I don't know my question is, is it ever okay to be the mistress i mean i've I've put like little comments out there about like, oh, I'm gonna need you to get rid of your boyfriend or like and he'll be very like very straightforward about it and be like, yeah, I kinda I guess I kinda do. I mean, I don't know if he's just bullshitting me, but I don't know, I'm a very honest, straightforward. Person, so maybe this isn't the best arrangement. I don't know. I just kind of, I'm trying to balance it all, and I don't know if I should run or wait it out. And then I'm also afraid. You know what? Okay, if he's going to do this to his boyfriend now, I feel like this is the age-old question: Isn't he going to do it to me? I guess I have to be able to live with the the insecurity of that.
0: Circling back to the disclosure issue. He had an obligation to disclose to you as you were meeting him and hanging out and essentially dating him and then hooking up with him that he had a boyfriend, that he was committed to someone else. That's something that you had a right to know before you got involved with him emotionally and sexually and he didn't disclose that. Probably because he thought you might not want to get involved with him sexually uh, if you knew that he had a boyfriend and he wasn't available to you as a boyfriend. There are a lot of people out there in open relationships and the honest and decent ones when they meet somebody new who flirts with them is to say, particularly in gay land, you're cute, you're really hot, you should know I have a boyfriend or I have a husband and then it's up to that person, the one who's being flirted with, the one who didn't know, the one that this information has just been disclosed to, to say yes or no, to sign up for that or not sign up for that. A lot of people are out there trying to meet somebody to be the one or to round themselves up to the one and be rounded up to the one. They want to meet somebody who's available to them. That's why they're out there dating and flirting. A lot of people out there just because they want to hook up and that's fine. And so if you disclose and it's somebody who's just interested in a hookup, they'll be like, I don't give a shit. You have a boyfriend. Let's fucking do it. But there are some people who are trying to leverage into their lives with their sexual and emotional attentions a serious commitment, a relationship. And that person will not want to sign up for the piece on the side or the hookup or the random or the potential three-way candidate. And that person has a right to opt out at that moment and say, oh, well, thanks for telling me. You're really hot. If you're ever single, give me a call. Find me on Facebook. Whatever. He didn't disclose to you. He wasn't honest with you. This isn't about cheating. Clearly you want a boyfriend. You're looking at him and thinking, well, he could be my boyfriend. But then when he's my boyfriend after he leaves, this other guy that he cheated on with me – What are the odds that he'll cheat on me? Well, probably 100 percent considering what he just did to his boyfriend, which is not to say that all – once a cheater, always a cheater. That's not true. But a manipulative in a way and dishonest piece of shit in a way, always a manipulative and dishonest piece of shit in a way. It's not about the cheating really. It's about the deception here, about the inconsideration, about the selfishness. I would be more worried about those traits if I were you. He treated you in a very inconsiderate, selfish manner. He exploited your ignorance of his relationship status. He allowed you to make a reasonable assumption about his emotional availability when he was flirting with you and fucking you. The perfectly reasonable assumption that he did not have a boyfriend. Otherwise, he wouldn't be doing this without at least extending to you the courtesy of informing you. He didn't do any of that. And that's what I would be concerned about because that will play out in a relationship in all sorts of ways beyond just being cheated on, beyond sex. Someone who's selfish and inconsiderate and manipulative is to be avoided and he's exposed himself to you as all of those things. By the way, he's conducted himself with you thus far. So set aside you know, in some, at some future time where you may be his boyfriend, whether he'll cheat on you or not. OK, whatever. At some future time where he's your boyfriend, he's going to be a selfish, inconsiderate and manipulative boyfriend, whether he cheats on you or not. He could be with you and exclusive and monogamous and never, ever cheat on you ever, but he's still going to be selfish, manipulative and dishonest. And you don't want that in a boyfriend, successfully monogamous or not. So walk away.
12: Hi, Dan. Uh, My wife and I have a 12-year-old son. He talks with his friends all the time and texts with his friends all the time, and we randomly go through his iPod. He knows this. A few days ago, we went through it and found a conversation with his friends in which he pronounced he was gay. To their credit, his friends reacted the best way possible. Uh, That is to say, they didn't really consider it a big deal. We dug more and found more conversations in which he questioned whether he might be bisexual or asexual. So we sat him down and tried to talk to him about it. Obviously, he was embarrassed and didn't open up much at all. He claimed it was stupid and a mistake, and he shouldn't have said it at all. We told him that if this is how he feels, he shouldn't be embarrassed, and being accepted and loved in our family is not even a question. We asked what made him feel this way and uh, say it, and he had no answer. We made it clear that this wasn't an issue with us either way, but he had no answer for us when we asked if he was attracted to anyone or, or simply what made him post it at all. We think we know him pretty well and truly don't believe he's interested in anyone sexually at this point. Some of his friends have girlfriends and boyfriends, so we think maybe since he isn't attracted to girls right now, he thinks he belongs in the queer category. Uh, I guess the question is, how do we encourage and support him without making him feel like we're intruding on his privacy during this intimate, emotional quest he seems to be on? Uh, But we also want to be responsible parents and just kind of caught in this strange place right now. So I'd love to hear uh, whatever you have to say.
0: Leave him the fuck alone. I understand the obligation or the burden as a parent to monitor your child's online activities. I have a teenager myself. And I think we have to be moderate with that. I think that you dive in every once in a while. You make sure your kid's not a drug lord. You make sure that your kid isn't bullying or being bullied. And then you back the fuck out. You know, your parents, when you were a kid, theoretically, you know, before cell phones and text messaging and IMing, they could have put a wiretap on the house phone and listened to every conversation you ever had with anyone, but they didn't. And you would have found it very creepy and invasive and disrespectful if they had. You know, as a parent, to know that you can read everything your kid is doing and saying, you end up feeling like you ought to or you should. You don't have to. Dive in when you think there may be a problem. Dive in when you think there may be an issue. Dive in every once in a while for your own peace of mind. But then when you see shit that isn't – a, you say it's not a problem. You say you'll love and support him, by gay, straight, asexual, whatever. If you see something that's not a problem, don't bring it up. There's no reason to address it with him if you don't think it's a problem. There's no reason to demand from your son because you saw him toying with or exploring – his sexual identity online, trying on different outfits online. There's no reason to demand from him some sort of final answer for your parents. You know, Peer groups are very important to kids, but I think even kids intuit that friends come and go and peer groups change so that what you are saying to a couple of classmates or a couple of close friends now isn't your final answer, that this can be an experiment, really. You can be trying on an identity. You can be seeing how this feels, seeing whether it is your truth. But saying it to your mom and your dad who are going to be your mom and dad forever. That is a final answer. You can't unsay it. And he may be ready to say to a a, a peer something he's not ready to say to you because he's not sure about it. He's not sure if he's gay, bi, straight, asexual, whatever. And he may temporarily identify as bi to his peers, knowing that his peers will move in and out of his life. Knowing it is that his peers are at that same stage of life where they're also trying on their identities and nothing is carved in marble. But saying it to mom and dad, who will always be in his life, he may feel like you guys are demanding some sort of final answer that he's not yet ready to give. Even if it sounds as if he's giving that final answer to his peers. So my advice to you would be back the fuck off. Continue to monitor in a responsible way. But you have to balance that – monitoring for your, your kid's own safety with some respect for his privacy and that to now requires, I think, parents to engage in a little suspension of disbelief. Sometimes you have to pretend not to know something you do know, not to have read something you did read. That if you read something because you're monitoring your kid's online activities for their own safety, their own welfare, that is not dangerous, that isn't going to impact their relationship with their you or th- th- hurt their schoolwork, imperil their future, or getting into college, or whatever else it is, leave it alone. Stuff it down the fucking memory hole. You don't have to address it with your kid. You didn't really have to address it. You say he's not sexually attracted to anyone. You say he's not sexually active. You say he doesn't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. He's not 13 years old with a fake ID that says he's 22. He's not out there in gay bars potentially being at great risk because he's so young and naive. He's talking shit online about who he might be when he grows up and he wants to do that with some privacy with his peer group. Let him have it.
3: Hello, Dan. I'm a parent to two amazing boys and I've been married for 17 very interesting and engaging years. We were cleaning the house, spring cleaning, and my son's mom found magazines in his bathroom. She didn't look at them. They were turned upside down and she asked him what they were and he was embarrassed and she insisted. And it never came out that the magazines were harmless sports magazines, ones, you know, like shape and fitness. And I said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. So now my wife is pressing me. What were those magazines? And my son is embarrassed to say, I want to be supportive of everybody. But I'm caught. Do I tell my wife exactly what they were? Or do I support my son in a bit of a deception? I'm not certain what to do. I don't want my wife to not trust me. And I don't want my son to think that I don't have his back. And I'm not sure what to do, Dan. I really, really know my highest priority is for my son to believe that he can trust me says, hopefully after 18 years or 17 years of marriage, my wife knows already that she can trust me. Please, let me know what you think. I eagerly await your counsel. Hello?
5: Hey,
0: it's Dan Savage. <laughs>
5: oh my, hi, hi, hi. Hi, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm totally thrilled. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm glad I could make your day.
5: Oh, you! Let's say you've
3: made my day, and tomorrow I'll be thinking about this tomorrow. I'll give you an extra one.
0: Okay, wh- where are you right now? Are you in a car?
3: I'm in a car with my son, but I can switch off of my car phone in about a minute if you'd like.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I would need you to pull over too. Cause I, I can't talk to people who are driving. So I don't want to kill somebody by accident.
3: I understand entirely. Then can you give me a minute and a half to make that happen?
0: Yeah. I'll call you back in two minutes. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay. We're going to wait a couple of minutes, then call him back. I'm going to look at some porn on my phone. Why don't you all do whatever it is that you do to pass the time and, uh, we'll pick back up in just a second. Hey, it's Dan. Um, so I, I guess I don't understand what the problem is. And I, I don't understand how your wife found these magazines and then didn't look at them, but is dying to know what they were. Why didn't she flip them over?
3: Um, I, I didn't ask her that, I guess. I don't know. Um,
0: and why is your, is your son with you?
3: Um, he was. He was. I just sent them into the store to buy some stuff.
0: <laughs> Did he tell you why he's so uh, concerned about his mom not knowing that he's looking at men's health and fitness or whatever it is.
3: Um, yeah, he did. He said she would go berserk. Um, she doesn't talk with me about stuff like that. Um, she doesn't, she's not open about subjects like that.
0: It's not porn. Men's health. I agree entirely. You know, if, if your son wants to look at porn, he's looking at Tumblr porn on his phone, like every other teenager. He's not, buying, he's not buying magazines. That's what y- I did and you did a million years ago. Teenagers today, they don't have to resort to magazines. If a teenager has a magazine in his hand, he is reading the articles. If he's masturbating, he's got his phone under the covers. I agree. So if you know, he's shy for a reason he cannot share and your wife is irrational on this subject – you have,
3: I would agree on this and other subjects. Yes.
0: You have my permission, you know, to lie to your wife. You should, you know, if your wife is irrational on a subject or anybody, you have a, a partner who's irrational about a subject. One of the things that you want a partner for is to, you know, be good where you're bad and bad where you're good. And if your wife is irrational about it, you have a right to like run around a need to know basis on this to run some interference for your son on this. Tell your wife that they were a couple of weightlifting magazines because your son's interested in, in, in like having a better body and is thinking about going to the gym and, and let it be done. I don't. Is that not an option? Will your wife not settle for that answer? Or is or is she only going to settle for these magazines? I didn't have the courage to look at. Are they're hardcore porn or they're nothing? And I will be your relentless psycho until you tell me they're hardcore porn.
3: Well, I think that what is, what's most likely is that she she. Is on, on the irrational side of this sort of stuff.
0: On the irrational side of porn?
3: Uh, well, of, of, of anything even quasi-erotic. Okay. So, so I think that is your you son, know, the is idea... It, is your son gay? No. No, he's not.
0: Okay, so if it was a magazine with men in it, and he's not gay, he's not sticking the pages together with what could have been your grandchildren.
3: Yes, semen exactly.
0: <laughs> so go to your wife and say it wasn't porn. It's a men's fitness magazine cuz he's interested in being healthier. Leave him alone about it.
3: Okay. This this is this is the the difficulty I had because I I'm a pretty straight shooter. I mean, I don't like deceiving anybody about anything. I just think like, "Fuck."
0: This is the truth. Is it not? There's no deception here. It's a men's health and fitness magazine.
3: It, no, it was several magazines. It was a, one of them was men's health and fitness. One of them was, um, you know, women's health and fitness. You know, it, it was just general, in my opinion, healthy interest in uh, things related to puberty. You know, it was it was it was nothing controversial.
0: Then say that to her. Tell her it was the fucking New Yorker. If she didn't look at them, she's National Geographic, Graphic, The Fucking New Yorker, and Men's Health and Fitness, not pornography. Leave him alone. Like one of the things that kids who have an irrational parent – you know what? Every kid has an irrational parent. A lot of kids have two irrational parents. (laughs) Almost all kids with two parents have two irrational parents, each of whom is irrational about different stuff. And one of the things kids need to see is that the rational parent will protect them from the irrational parent. And that rational irrational thing shifts back and forth, right? There's shit that I'm not rational about that Terry's more rational about, and vice versa. And the kid wants to see and needs to see that the rational parent is not going to allow the irrational parent to bully or demonize or run roughshod over them or just terrorize them. And sometimes that includes, sometimes that's up to doing the right thing for ever, all involved and deceiving your partner.
5: Yeah, I, I'm,
3: I'm. I'm willing to go there. Because I feel very strongly about this. I'm willing to go there um, because I don't think it's such a huge deal.
0: <laughs> and you know, sometimes we run our spouses on need-to-know basis. You know, your, your kid's a teenager. This is the last stage of his life where you guys, his mom and dad, are supposed to be hyper-vigilant, hyper-involved, overseeing everything, in everything. And so right now, she may not be in a place where she can hear what those magazines really were. But, you know, in 10 years, when she says, you know, if it comes up, you know, honey, those magazines were, you know, what you thought they were. But you just weren't rational about it. And she may laugh it off then in a way that she can't now because now she feels so responsible for everything that may happen to him and she's the parent <clears throat> and la, 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 la. But she sounds a little crazy. Like, oh, my God, I found these magazines. I couldn't bring myself to look at them. What are they? And if she's terrorizing you about what they are now, fob her off with some fucking lie and put it to bed. Put a bullet in the back of the head <laughs> of this issue and be done with it.
3: I, I do think that it's best to just get closure as fast as possible.
0: She's begging you to lie to her, by the way, that she didn't look at the magazines, put it on you, put it on him as being a crazy nutbag about it, that's her saying, please lie to me. Tell me these aren't what I think they are so I can be done with this issue, so I can stop obsessing about it. So go get in your car, go get your kid, go lie to your wife. That's what she's there for. <laughs> Thank
3: you very much. You are you're an amazing man. Anybody who says differently, that's uh, their problem.
0: Well, there are plenty of people out there saying differently, but I appreciate uh, appreciate the compliment. Thanks so much. Good luck.
3: Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you very
0: much. Sure thing. Bye.
4: Hi, I'm calling with my own personal advice for the guy asking what his first message on online dating services should be. If you're emailing me, I would say definitely take something from my profile and engage me about it. Any one thing. Oh, I see you like rock climbing. I've never been. Can you recommend a good place? I am 100% going to answer that. Don't go through point by point and respond to everything. Cause that's creepy. As for the women, on okay Cupid, they don't have anything in their profiles. Who cares what he messages them? They don't. They're not taking it seriously. they just a picture. They're just going to look at his picture anyway. He can email them suck for all
11: care. They're just going to look at his picture. And why do a song and dance?
4: My advice to
7: him is to just keep doing whatever you're doing. Because if you're even thinking about this response, you're
4: light years ahead of the millions of guys who fill up every girl's inbox with, you know, the really direct sex question mark. So if you're already gleaning profiles and forming a complete sentence, you're doing it right. And if there's nothing offered in her profile, just offer something about yourself. I like rock climbing. I read a book once. If she wants to have a conversation, you've already started one. And if she doesn't, you can always try books.
7: If they're not responding, it's just because they're not attracted to it. Like... That's what it is. Here you go through and you say, yes, I want to fuck you. No, I don't want to fuck you. If they don't want to fuck you, they're not going to answer.
4: The messages that work to get my attention when I was on OkCupid, the biggest thing that guys don't do anymore include your name, not even your last name, not anything else, even just a first initial, some kind of sign off and some kind of name. There are so many messages that are just like instant messages that are written like instant messages. It's an email. Think of it as like a letter to a friend rather than just an instant message to a stranger. Another thing, think about her experience. A lot of us get innumerable messages that are super aggressive, super sexual. It's possible to be assertive and masculine while also being warm and sincere and respectful. That will get her attention. It'll stand out from all of the other awful, sexual, anonymous messages. Always a compliment is a... The best approach when it's talking to a woman: either tell her she's beautiful, or maybe use a more unique word like stunning. It's so much less about what they say and about their spelling and grammar when they say it. Either make me think or make me laugh. Don't open with a picture of your penis. Good
1: luck. I've met really nice people on these things. They totally work. Good luck.
0: And we're going to leave it there. But quickly, before we go, I just want to send a big thank you to Evan and the entire cast of Heather's The Musical, which I saw last week in New York City uh, at Evan's invitation. And it's a really fucking good time. It's hilarious. If you remember the movie, you'll love it. If you haven't seen the movie, you'll love it. It works all by itself, but it's really great, and I had a blast. And thank you again, Evan. Heather's the Musical. If you're in New York, go catch it. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Two-oh. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Ellen Forney on Twitter at Ellen underscore F-O-R-N-E-Y. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.